Welcome to the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you understand the Bible better so you can have a better relationship with God and what your pastor never told you.com, helping you navigate the end times so you can stand firm until the return of Christ. Get ready. This is not your average Bible study. This is not for the faint of heart. If it's controversial and in the Bible, we'll talk about it. We are unashamedly, unabashedly, and unpredictably bringing out the truth in God's Word. And now, introducing your dynamic hostess with the mostest. She's an international speaker, author, and self-admitted nerd for the Word, Dana Crosby. So which book of the Bible is so controversial and mysterious that many pastors, maybe even yours, have never taught on it? We're going to answer that question coming up next. Make sure to visit whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. Hey, everybody. I'm Dana with the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you to understand the Bible better so that you can have a better relationship with God. Welcome to Bible study today. I am so excited about our Bible study. We are continuing on in our series of the book of Revelation. This book is a mysterious book, and it's extremely controversial in some groups. And so that's why I think many pastors don't want to touch it with a 10-foot pole. However, Jesus gave us this, and he didn't call the book the confusion. He called it the revelation. He's revealing something to us. And if it wasn't important for us to understand, why would he have bothered to give this vision, this revelation to John? And why would he have him write it down? And why would it be part of our Bible? And what's also more amazing is that at the very beginning of this, we saw in our video on chapter one, that this is the only book of the Bible that is promised a blessing for those who read it aloud and for those who hear the words of it. And so I am so excited to be presenting this to you. As I mentioned in my first video, I don't claim to know everything there is to know about the book of Revelation. Some of these prophecies we may not understand until they come to pass. And we talked about that in depth in the first video. So we see, as Paul said, through a glass dimly, but Jesus is revealing this to us, and he said at the very beginning and the end of the book that it was given so that his servants would understand the things that are about to take place. Do you want to understand the things that are about to soon take place? I know I want to understand the things that are about to soon take place, and so it behooves us to just get a hold of this book and really study it because you will find that even the symbology in this book, they give you the inter the interpretation is given to us. So we're going to go ahead and dive right in. If you missed chapter one, go ahead and watch that video first because these videos definitely build on one another. But we're going to jump right into Revelation chapter two. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. Revelation chapter 2, here Jesus is writing to the seven churches in the province of Asia. As we saw in chapter 1, John is stranded on the island of Patmos. He's there kind of as a punishment because of his preaching of the word of God. So he is there almost like a jail sentence. He's on this island and that's where he gets these revelations from God. So in chapter two, verse one, it says to the angel or to the messenger is really what the Greek word is there of the church of Ephesus, right? These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Let me pause here and just say earlier on, we saw that this imagery in chapter one was shown to us that it's Jesus, that he's the one who's walking among the seven golden lampstands. And as I mentioned in the first video, 
I'm not wanting to come here to teach you just my views on things. That's not what I want. I don't want to um, have an opinion of man that goes to you, but I want you to understand the truth from the Word of God. And so that's why we're going to study these scriptures together so that you can understand what the Word of God says and you can understand it for yourself. We'll let the Word of God speak for itself, speak into our lives so that we can have understanding about the things that are soon going to take place. And we also mentioned in the first video, and I think it's important to recap here, that if we come across ideas that Jesus gives us through the Word of God that are different than presuppositions or other ideas that we have been given or that we notions that we have had in the past, it's important for us to allow our ideas to fall by the wayside and allow Jesus' ideas to take preeminence in our thoughts and for us to reshape our understanding of the end times. Because I will tell you that our culture, and you guys, I'm probably going to do a video on this in the future, our culture has skewed a lot of ideas about heaven, hell, and angels, and all that kind of stuff. And so I might do a video talking about the deception of those things and how the ideas in our culture are not what the scripture has to say. But even within Western Christianity, um, there have been ideas that have gone out among the church that are just not scriptural ideas. And so rather than come to you with what I think my ideas are of it, let's not do that. Let's instead go to the Word of God and see what the Word of God says, and you can decide for yourself if what you have been taught agrees with the Word of God. And then you're going to have to face a choice, just like I have had to face, is when I've been taught something that is not in accordance with the Word of God, who are you going to go with? Well, I pray and hope that you go with the Word of God because that's what I'm going with and that's where the safety zone is, is going with the Word of God. So let's continue on here. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So we see again, just like we saw in chapter one and all throughout scripture, that when you are called to follow Christ, that you will face at times in your journey, maybe not constantly, but at times in your journey, persecution. And it says right here that this church in Ephesus has persevered and has endured hardships, hardships for the name of Jesus. They have not grown weary in that. And I want to encourage you because sometimes in the Western church, we think that we're not going to be faced or we're not going to have to face these hardships or these persecutions. But we, um, Jesus promised that we would. And so let us not grow weary when those things come upon us. Don't let it surprise us like what in the world is happening to us. I think James talks about not letting it surprise us as, so, as though something strange were happening to us. But we need to just expect this when we follow Christ that it's at odds. Our way is at odds with the ways of the world because the ways of the world, they are enemies with God. So we should not expect anything else than for them to be enemies with us. So here he affirms them in what is good. And he says, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. 
You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to the eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Wow, this letter, along with all the letters to the churches, is quite sobering because we see how amazing these believers are. I mean, they're enduring persecutions and hardships, and yet they still have something they need to repent of that God wants to correct them. And the thing that he wants to correct them of here, he says, you have forsaken your first love. And he says, do the things you did at first. For those of you guys that are married, you understand what this can be like. When you first fall in love, oh my goodness, those feelings are there. You want to spend all of your time with that person. Your thoughts are about that person all the time. But then as time goes on, sometimes those feelings can fade. And sometimes when you're doing the doldrums of life, um, you can become dull in your love. And so Jesus is wanting them to rekindle this love. They're saying repent. He's saying repent and do what you did at first. And I find it interesting how this parallels what Jesus said in Matthew 24, that he said in the beginning of these birth pangs um, that are going to come on the earth, the love of many will grow cold and that wickedness will increase because the love grows cold. And so we need the Holy Spirit to revive our first love. Lord, help us to fall in love with you all over again. Help us to become a burning fire for you, Lord God, just totally in love with you, God. And I think, I'm, I'm so thankful to Jesus that he said, a smoldering wick, a smoldering wick I will not snuff out. So even if you feel as though your flame is almost gone and all you are is a little wisp of smoke yet, be assured that the Holy Spirit can breathe on you and help you to reignite the passion that you had for God, the love that you had for him, so that you are just in anticipation of his coming back, that you cannot wait for the day of his return, that the cares of this world are not choking out the love that you have for God. I think it's interesting here that it, he also says, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And he says that you do not tolerate wickedness. Let's see, where does it say here? You cannot tolerate wicked people. In the churches in the West, we see a lot of tolerance of wicked people. You know, you hear the saying, and it's true that we should love the sinner and hate the sin. But there's, but loving the sinner sometimes means not tolerating their behavior. We live in a culture right now that wants us to tolerate all wickedness. We are not to tolerate wickedness and wicked behavior. And there are times even in the scriptures where it says that we should cut off fellowship with people that are not behaving as they should when they've been corrected. Um, the leadership from the church has gone to correct them and they don't, they don't repent of their evil deeds. They're continuing in habitual sin. Um, then we are to cut off relationship with them. Why? So that they will realize that they are cut off in their relationship from God. And unless they repent, they're going to be Apart from him, they are not going to continue in salvation. There are some churches that do teach this false gospel of once saved, always saved. But that's not what the scripture has to say. Jesus even talks later about certain church that if they don't repent, he could spew them out of his mouth. That's not saying you're mine anymore. That's saying you're not. I want you to think about the prodigal son. The prodigal son left home. Now, when the prodigal son came back, he was part of the family again and welcomed. And that's when the father said, 
My son who was lost is found. But when the prodigal son was off living in wild living, when he was off away from his father, he was not in salvation at that time. He was apart from God. So even though his DNA came from his father, he was not living as his father's son. He was living as a son of Satan. And we, don't, we cannot live as sons and daughters of Satan and expect to be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Because even though we are not saved by our works, our fruit show who we belong to. Our works show who we belong to. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commands. So see here, love means obedience. And Jesus is saying here to, that you need to repent and do the things that you did at first. Not just believe the things that you believed at first, but he actually says, do the things that you did at first. And some people don't want to hear anything about that. And that does not mean that our salvation is based upon works, but our works reflect where we are, our position. If we are hidden in Christ, we can't continue on living in sin. We can't live on in habitual sin anymore. I had a conversation with somebody online about this recently. My question for you is, is God too weak to deliver you from your habitual sin? Or do you think that you're condemned to live in that habitual sin until Jesus returns and then you'll be set free from it? No, God's power is not too weak to save you from your habitual sin. And in fact, if you belong to Christ, you will no longer walk in that way. The Bible says that we have died to that old life. And even Paul says, I must die daily. So we might have to die to ourselves daily, but we are to not live to the flesh any longer. And that if we continue living in the flesh, we show that we do not belong to Christ. So this is really important. And yes, you might have to repent. Repentance is a good thing for you. And that's something that the church in the West isn't preaching, but Jesus preached it. John the Baptist preached it. All the prophets of old preached it. So repentance is necessary. And I heard recently, and I thought this was pretty interesting, um, that the word repentance actually came from a military command, meaning about face, to turn around. You're going in this direction, and they yell, about face. And then you turn around, and you go in the opposite direction. So when you're going in the opposite direction, you can't continue doing the things you were doing before. And so this message of repentance is so crucial, but people want to take that out from the, the message of Christ, but Christ didn't take that out of his message. He, he used the words repent while he was here on earth, and he's using the words repent again, even in addressing the churches, okay? Now, if we had time to do a further study, we could look up what the the false teaching was of the practices of the Nicolaitans. We're not going to get into that study today, but I'm sure you can do some research yourself online. Be like the Bereans and do some study yourself. Verse 7, I think, is pretty amazing here. It says, whoever has, an e has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. And so God sets before us a choice, life and death. He sets before us a choice of curse or blessing, and we need to heed his command. He says, if you have ears, Hear what I'm saying. Don't stop them up. Don't just listen and not do what I'm asking you to do. So here we go on to the church in Smyrna in verse 8. 
to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, and again that word also means messenger of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. So Jesus is speaking right into them and he says, I know what you're going through. I know the suffering, the afflictions that you have, and even your poverty. I see it. I know it. But he says, yet you are rich. We have to see things the way Jesus sees things. The kingdom mentality is different than the earthly mentality. So he says, yet you are rich. He says, I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews, but are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan. What's he talking about here? He's talking about Jews who are unbelievers, who are slandering them, in other words, saying lies about them. And he's saying, though they claim to be Jews, even though by birth, genetics, they might be Jews, they're not. They're of the synagogue of Satan. And Jesus used harsh words like that to um, the Pharisees while he was walking this earth as well. And he told them that they were a brood of vipers and basically that they were Satan's offspring. Well, why is that? Is because they weren't living for God. Um, they had this form of godliness on the outside, but they denied God the power of God to transform them on the inside. He called them whitewashed tombs, saying you look all good on the outside, but on the inside you're dead. And so he's saying, I know about these so-called Jews that are um, slandering you. And he says they're really of the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And the one, the one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. And we're going to find out later what is the second death because he explains all of these things. What is the second death? But he's saying be faithful even to the point of death. You are going to face persecution and be faithful until the point of death. Jesus didn't say, I'm coming before that. He didn't say, I'm going to get you out of here before that. That's not what he said. Jesus did say in the scriptures that we are not appointed to God's wrath, but as far as Satan's wrath and the persecution of believers by the synagogue of Satan, he didn't tell us that we were going to be able to skip out on that, so to speak. Let's continue on, and you can just see for yourself what the scriptures plainly say. Okay, moving on to the letter from the church in Pergamum. To the angel at the church of Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has a sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. So this is pretty interesting. If you look up Pergamum, I believe that's in Turkey, and he's saying that's where Satan actually has his throne, his seat. That's pretty interesting. Might want to hang on to that for later, thinking about the end times. Yet you remain true to my name. You'd, you did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Wow. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak 
to entice the Israelites to sin, so they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. So you can go back in the Old Testament. This is an Old Testament reference here for the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to try to get the Israelites to sin, you know, hope, probably hoping for a curse to come upon them, by eating food, sacrificed to idols, and committing adultery, sex, excuse me, committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And so Jesus is saying, unless you turn away, I'm going to come and fight against you. In Matthew, Jesus said, if you're not with me, you're against me. If you're not gathering with me, you're scattering. And so it's a dangerous place, my friends, to be in opposition to Christ. I wouldn't call that a saving place. So we need to make sure, like he says here, repent, therefore. Otherwise, I'm going to soon come to you and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. Now, manna was from the Old Testament when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and they needed food. God provided heavenly bread for them, the manna, which I actually think is a symbol of Jesus. He is the bread of life. He came down from heaven and he is what what sustains us. He is what gives us true life. When... Um, the Israelites were wandering in the desert and Moses set up the tabernacle. God had him collect some of the manna in a jar and put it in the tabernacle with the Ten Commandments along with a staff that he had used that had, I believe it was Aaron's staff that had budded. And so Jesus is giving both the, a, a curse for disobedience and a promise for obedience, for blessing. And he says, I will give you some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. What a cool blessing that will be is this white stone um, with, with your own personal name on it. And I heard from a pastor, you'll have to look this up to be sure, but that in ancient times they would use these white stones as a type of an invitation. If you were invited to a special banquet or dinner, you would be given this white stone as your entrance to that event. Um, so that's kind of a neat thought to think about that but you can do your own research on that at any rate it says a white stone with a new name written on it known only to the one who receives it that's going to be really cool to the angel and the church of Thyatira write these are the words of the son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze you see, in each of these letters, Jesus is using new words, some new and some old, to describe himself so that we can recognize these things when he uses them in other places of scripture. So he says um, that his eyes are like the blazing fire and his feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Now, we heard about this to the last church, about this teaching from Balaam and Balak about eating food sacrificed to idols and also about sexual immorality. And he's saying that there's a woman and he's calling her Jezebel. Now, that may not be her real name, but Jezebel 
was a person, a wicked woman in the Old Testament who killed off many of God's prophets and she was a very immoral woman. And so Jesus is calling this woman by this name and saying she calls herself a prophet. In other words, she's saying she's of me, but she is condoning sexual sin. You guys, there are churches in our country today that claim to be Christians that tolerate all kinds of sexual sin, and they even ordain ministers that are committing sexual sin that God abhors. They are abominations to him, and yet they put those people up as prophets and prophetesses, as pastors as priests and priestesses. It's crazy, you guys. But this was no different than in this time. And Jesus says, I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. These are severe words. We should have the fear of God when we read these words. I know I do. And what he says here is, I will repay each of you according to your deeds. So I know that we are saved by grace through faith in Christ. Yet in Revelation, many times over, Jesus talks about rewards and punishments for deeds. Deeds are important. And like I said in video one, deeds reflect who you belong to. So he is going to cause her to suffer intensely, not only for her sin, but anyone who sins with her will be caused to suffer intensely. And he says by that, the churches will know that he's the one who searches hearts and minds. You guys, it's not enough to have the righteousness of the Pharisees. Jesus said, unless your righteousness supersedes or exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, that you're not coming into heaven. Well, how can we do that? It's by having our hearts and minds pure. Jesus said, you have heard it said not to commit adultery, but I tell you, if you even look at a woman to lust after her, you have committed that sin already. And so we have to have purity in the inside. It's not just a it's not about following a bunch of rules. It's who we are because the law of God came from the character of God. The law of God doesn't save us. It shows us how far we were from the character of God. But Jesus came so that we could be transformed, so that we could be made new. We could be born again into God's family and reflect his image. That's why we're called Christians, because we are supposed to look like Christ. And the Bible says that we are going to look like him when he comes. We have to be willing to be transformed. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what you have until I come. So he's saying there are some of you that haven't fallen prey to these false teachings, these deep secrets, so-called deep secrets of Satan, which if what he's explaining here is continuing on from what he said in the verse above, the verses above, prophetess who wants to mislead people into thinking it's okay to sin and sexually sin and, and be still part of the church. So he's saying, you have not learned Satan's so-called secrets. And he says, I'm not going to put any other burden, but to hold on to what you have until I come.
to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, see in many scriptures it talks about how Jesus is the one who will rule them with an iron scepter. This goes all the way back to the Old Testament. He says, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So isn't it interesting that Jesus is the one who will rule with an iron scepter, but he says here to the one who is victorious and who does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations and that one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. So he's saying, I've received this authority from my father and I'm going to give it to you for overcoming, for being obedient to me until I return. That concludes our reading of Revelation for today. I'm so excited that you were a part of our Bible study today. I hope you're getting as much out of this as I am. If you haven't yet, remember to go ahead and subscribe down below because we are going to be coming out with new videos approximately three times a week. And the book of Revelation is one you have to get a hold of. If you have read it before and been confused, or maybe you've never been taught on the book of Revelation, you're going to be amazed at what it has to say, what Jesus has to say to the churches that is so vital for these and for the last days which are about to come on the earth. So don't miss those at all. Until next time. I'm Dana with the Wisdom Calls channel, helping you to understand the Bible better so that you can have a better relationship with God. Thank you for listening to the Wisdom Calls podcast. For more exclusive content, visit whatyourpastornevertoldyou.com. Sign up for emails and get updates. Also, there you'll find our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube channels. Thanks for listening and join us next time.